Hi everyone, this is Dan Tellerico from Matrix Solutions, and today we have an awesome guest on the podcast, Jim Brady, CEO of Spirited Media, is here to talk about his ventures, Billy Penn, The Incline, The Denverite, um, three very interesting media outlets that are hyper-local, and we talk a little bit about how to monetize them, what he's doing differently, how to hire passionate people, and the future of the media industry and how these small, very focused sites play into the larger media ecosystem. Stay tuned for that and tons of other exciting insights on today's episode of the Matrix Media Sales Podcast. Hi everyone, this is Dan Tallarico from Matrix Solutions, and today I have Jim Brady, CEO of Spirit Media, on the podcast. Jim, why don't you say hello to everyone? Hey everybody, how are you? Glad to be here. Everyone's probably talking in their cars right now saying, hey Jim, I'm doing great. Traffic kind of rough today, having a great day. Um, so, um, can you, why don't you give us a little bit of, of your background and sort of what you've been doing in the industry, you've been in the media industry for a very long time and done some very exciting stuff most recently um, with Spirited Media. Um, we want to give us a little background of, of what you've been doing. Well, yeah, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version because it's been around a long time. This is literally my, my last day in my 40s. <laughs> so I turn 50 tomorrow. So, hey, um, happy birthday. Thank you. Um, I've, you know, I've been on the digital side of things since uh, April 1995, so I've been doing this about as long as somebody can be doing digital since it really didn't much exist before then. And um, you know, with the focus always being on trying to figure out how to reinvent uh, journalism in a, in a new platform and seemed pretty obvious early on to me that uh, we were headed in a very new direction here and uh, journalism was going to change dramatically and I think that's borne out to be true, certainly. Um, and so I think ever since, uh, so I've been in, I was at the Washington Post for many years, including being there when WashingtonPost.com launched in 96 and, uh, came back to be the editor of the site, WashingtonPost.com for about five years. After that, I've also done some time at America Online back when it was cool. Uh, and, <laughs> Wait, uh, it's still media. cool, right? Well, and I, uh, well, keyword I, journalism, keywords, right. It may still be. It may still be cool. I haven't. I haven't heard much lately. I can't. I can't. I can't uh, admit. But um, and so I, you know. But after doing a lot of that, and for the most part being inside legacy media organizations, trying to make the transition, I think I just decided it was time to go off on my own and take a lot of these ideas that I had and put them into play the way I wanted to put them into play, with the understanding that to do that, sometimes you have to you have to spend your own money and put your money where your mouth is. So. Um, so I did that, and what I wanted to do, the idea I had was just looking around at the media landscape a couple of years ago. You saw all this money going toward uh, organizations that um, you know were going after sort of a younger audience and were heavily focused on mobile. And, and where you saw people doing this, you saw an awful lot of attention around um, national sites, but I didn't really feel like anybody was trying to do this at a local level where you would really feel um, – 
you know, you'd see the same ideas applied, but for an audience that lived in a fixed market, uh, especially because the papers in those markets are struggling so badly and have been for such a long time, it just seemed like the right time to go out there and do this. So we, we just came up with this idea of building sites that were focused on mobile first and were focused on reaching a millennial audience. We delivered that news to them in ways that uh, matched the way they got it on social media via stream and via a lot of sharing and curation. And then we decided kind of at heart that to build the business model we wanted to build, we had to build it on something that was not pure display because that display model is already challenged enough as it is, but especially when you get into a fixed market where you only have so many people who can be loyal readers, you just can't. I think our philosophy was you can't possibly build a loyal audience and a, uh, and a big enough audience, probably more importantly, to, to fund the site purely based on display unless you went after all the terrible user experience uh, uh, ploys that so many use these days to, uh, to try to you know, gin up their page views. And we didn't want to do any of that stuff because we feel like the only way you're going to build loyal readership down the line is you got to treat them the way that they want to be treated. I mean, I've, I've, one of the lines I've used for a long time is if you treat the user like, you know, you don't care about them, they're sure to return the favor. Absolutely. And, you know, it's uh, funny you bring up the, the user experience around, you know, treating your users correctly. Before this conversation started, I was on my phone, like reading a news article. Halfway through the article, an ad popped up, which, you know, took up my whole screen. And then also brought me back up to the top of the article, which I was halfway through. And it was just the most irritating experience in the world. And I bounced immediately. Um, yeah. And it's it just like, uh, it's revolting. And so, like, how do you find the balance then between, you know, I guess making revenue, right, which you say you don't really rely on that display that much, and then providing a good experience? What, what's kind of the formula that you use um, on your sites? Well, I mean, I think it's, I mean, we, we, we went very heavily after, um, um, you know, the, the events is our main model. And, you know, that was based on a lot of things. One of them was just based on the idea that um, we also, that the generation that we're going after is also very active and very eager to go to things and attend events. And, you know, there's a, there's a line you see in an awful lot of, um, um, you know, an awful lot of uh, studies about millennials that say they prefer experiences over possessions. So why not create some experiences uh, instead of trying to get them to hit 20 pages on your site or trying to, you know, autoplay video, pop up ads, you know, pagination every four paragraphs, photo galleries. Yeah, exactly. Instead of doing any of that, let's try to give them an experience. So we don't do pop ups. We don't do pop unders. We don't do the slideshows just to do slideshows. We don't paginate even down to the curation model we have, which is we don't rewrite the first four paragraphs of somebody else's story and then send a link off. If you go to the, any of the sites that we run, if we have a link to another site or another story that we didn't produce, it just goes straight to that site. And that costs us some page views, but we think it builds law, user loyalty where they come to us and they know if I got five minutes to figure out what's going on in Philadelphia this morning. Billy Penn is the best way for me to find that out because they respect my time and they make me, they allow me to make the best use of my own time. And, you know, I've said a lot over the, you know, one of my mantras uh, is that, you know, no matter how good, no matter how good technology gets, the one metric that's never going to change is we're going to have 60 minutes in an hour and 24 hours in a day. And if we treat that as the most important metric that we can go after and say we have to respect the time of the people who come to our site, then I think that's a good starting point. Now, 
that means you have to walk away from some of the metrics other people use, like time spent per session for us is sort of a meaningless metric. Um, because we, we encourage people to go off and read stories that we've curated that we think are interesting on other people's sites. So if somebody hits that link and comes back, they haven't been on our site very long. But what we're focused on is did we serve the need of that reader? And if we do that, you know, you would like to think they're going to come back and, and also start to build some loyalty to you that you can then down the road turn into, you know, additional business. Have, have um, I noticed, you know, the, the incline here in Pittsburgh is always linking to the Post-Gazette and Next Pittsburgh and uh, the Trib. Have those, like, media organizations ever come to you and been like, uh, why are you doing this? And also, thank you at all? Like, what is that relationship like between uh, you guys? I can't say we've gotten a thank you per se, but I don't necessarily expect that. But it's... Um, no, we haven't gotten that. I mean, I think I don't think anybody complains about it because I mean, I've been asked before, like, do they complain that you do that? And I'm not sure what the complaint would be exactly. It's the free uh, traffic. Sounds yeah, like a great you know. thing for everyone. Yeah, we're smaller than those. They are, so I'm sure we're not, you know, driving traffic that at this point in our early life is going to make a meaningful difference in the state of their business. But we do think it's the right thing to do, and I, you know, I think look, I think it's the right thing to do for a lot of reasons. I'm not a big fan of curation where you rewrite other people's work because I do believe. You know that the people who do the legwork and, and any kind of journalism should get the traffic for that work. If you can add something to that story, so be it. Go for it. But beyond that, you should link straight out. But more than that, even it's I have so many reporters in each of these cities I'm in, and you know I don't. Why do I want them spending their time rewriting other people's work? What I want them to do is go out there and find things that they can do that nobody's doing, and that's a much better model for us. So, so no, we haven't really heard from them. We've partnered with the WESA in Pittsburgh on mm-hmm. a mayor today. And we've talked to other people there about doing more formal partnerships. And, you know, it's a pretty it's a pretty friendly market in the sense of like we really haven't run into a lot of uh, other media companies in town saying like, hey, why are you guys here? Why are you guys on our turf? You know, like an old street gang kind of thing. But nobody's done that. Well, especially as these organizations slim down, right? It makes sense to kind of work together and use and pull your resources. And, you know, people are great at certain things. Why not leverage that expertise? Yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's sort of my uh that's sort of my that's sort of my attitude about it all is uh, you know leverage the expertise you have and, and look people want to know the right things to the best things to read on a given day and we do think we can help on that front just by uh, taking some of the intel that we have on our staff to find that stuff but no we've gotten no complaints and I, I can't imagine we would get many I just love lo- or you know or no, or thank yous for that matter sure. but I don't really expect those you know maybe I, after this podcast goes out you'll get a thank you note from someone and be like hey that feels great. Yeah, we've gotten thank you. We've gotten thank yous from like smaller sites or individual blogs or something where somebody, uh, um, you know. But I mean, we haven't gotten them from any other any other legacy firms. Um, and going back to the the revenue model and events and things like that, how does that work with advertisers? Is it like what does that relationship look like since you're sort of event focused? And do you ever have to like do advertisers ever come to you guys and say? hey, I really want to advertise on your site. How can we make that happen? And you kind of have to say, well, we don't really do that so much, but we have other ideas for you. Yeah, I mean, we do ads on the site. It's not that we don't do them at all. It's that we try to keep the load pretty light. So, um, so I mean, from that perspective, you know, not uh, we, we certainly are able to do advertising. But what we try to do in a lot of cases is walk them through why, I think, why we think events have a lot of value as well and try to get them to kind of sign up there a little bit um, or whether it's uh, sponsoring an event or so, you know, whether it's newsletter sponsorship. So we try to do packages that give people a fair amount of value, but we certainly push them toward events because, you know, we do this thing called who's next, which is, 
in all the cities that we have uh, uh, sites. And that's been a real success for us. And I think what it does is it takes every month we pick, you know, 10 to 15 to 20 people under the age of 40 in a certain category that might be health or education or law. And we name them. We do the, you know, we do the, the journalistic work to track down who those people should be. We take some nominations. And at the end of that, when we publish it, we then do an event that ties off of that where we bring all the winners and we, you know, offer that up as a sponsorship. So if you're a law firm and you want, you know, two hours, you're the only, and you can bring five partners to an event where there are a bunch of really smart young lawyers there, then that might be worth it. And you get signage and all that. But we're definitely trying to get people this idea that you have exclusive access to certain people for certain periods of time who might be helpful to you. And, and, uh, and it's a good association to have to be associated with young up and comers and innovation and new things being done. So we push, you know, that's obviously something we work pretty hard to, uh, to a sell on, but we, you know, we, we're always looking for package deals like anybody else. Definitely. And especially when you have an audience that's so uh, sought after like millennials, right? Um, that's a, that's a huge thing. And people are always trying to find unique ways to engage with them and get in front of them. Um, So how has like your coverage and like the mentality of your site changed as you kind of focus more on mobile and that millennial audience? Like, what do you see that's different that you're doing than what you've seen other organizations do in the past? I think being mobile is not, it's not just about the content you produce. It's about how the site's designed and how it looks and, you know, what the user experience is in terms of people being able to get in, get out pretty quickly. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think part of it is you do cover things that probably have a little bit more of a tie to, um, you know, to things that you might do in a mobile context. We do a ton of stuff on public transportation. Um, we don't do as much on traffic because, you you know, we, we're covering the city more than we're covering um you know, the suburbs, but, you know, in Pittsburgh, for example, we do a lot about self-driving cars and about the audit driving around the city because that is the main way people get around mm-hmm. the city. So we try to um, focus on things that we know are of interest to an audience that's kind of on the go. And, uh, and I, but I think most of it, to be honest, the most of it is probably, I'd say it's more in the category of user experience than it is the particular content you do because people who care about the city are going to care what Mayor Peduto is doing or what's going on with, uh, you know, one of the many events that Pittsburgh hosts every year, whether it's the Anthrocon or, you know, they, people are just are fascinated by the city. And I think what we've had the most success in Pittsburgh is really doing this series we call Peculiar Pittsburgh, where we just pick something really kind of fun and interesting about the city. Like, why do you know, what's the psychology around breaking before you reach before you hit a tunnel? Right. You know? Please and, figure that out. Like, yeah. And we wrote about that. We kind of did a, you know, the site. We talked to a couple of psychologists who explained why. The natural instinct before you reach a tunnel is to is to break, which you know, which obviously we were trying to explain the joy that is the Squirrel Hill Tunnel and probably many other ones, but that's that one certainly uh, in my uh, experience is the biggest nightmare. But um, every time I get to that so tunnel, think, I'm like, there has to be a twelve car pile up on the other side, right? Right, and there never is. It's just completely yep. clear. Yep, never is. It's the same. It's just it's it's it is quite maddening. I will agree with you on that. And we wrote one on why you know Pittsburgh lost its H for a while back in the day, and how it got its H back, and um, you know, so like stories like that really do well. And I think that's always been a bit of a failing, I would argue, of you know, the sort of this assumption I think among a lot of newspapers that like people who live here know these things already, and you know, certainly in a city that's going through as much change as Pittsburgh is right now in terms of some so many people moving in and. 
you know, it's lovely that the city is already tired of being called the next Brooklyn, but it's nice to be, you know, I love that, that we, we, we actually make that joke frequently. We almost always will call somebody out when they call it the next Brooklyn because it's become such a cliche, but that does obviously highlight the fact that it has been a very desirable place for people to come now for a while. And so you have a lot of newcomers there. Why not right, educate right. them a little bit about some of the history of the city and how it got the way it did. So we, you know, so that's really kind of how we look at it. And I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was the incline. I saw this recently because Pittsburgh made another national list of how great of a city it is. And I, I saw a tweet from the incline that I love that was, you know, great, let's get out the, the bingo card again, right? The yeah, nationalist right. bingo card. And like that is so, I mean, to someone here that's lived in Pittsburgh forever, right, is hilarious. And I love that. And it's that kind of personality that I think a lot of media organizations are missing because the incline and the people behind it and everyone riding there, like they're all humans, they're all people, but they're very yeah. funny. And like it, it makes a what would just be a, another media like website seem have this great personality. Right. And I think that's an important part of where we're headed. I think like I'm a, you know, I got into journalism like everybody, like so many other people of my generation specifically, um, because of all the president's men and, um, you know, and and all the investigate the great investigative era that unfortunately is not quite what it used to be. But I do think one of the downsides of that whole period was this sense of like everybody got focused on kind of I would say kind of being out. You know, they were kind of of the city, but really not with it. They weren't. They didn't feel like they were part of the city. A lot of newspapers. The voice got a little bit distant. And it became very much like we're over here watching you and we'll let you know if things go wrong. But everybody works at these places, ostensibly lives in these cities, too. And I feel like we lost that somewhere along the way. We just didn't um, we didn't stay on top of that. And I feel like now is the opportunity. People want to have a connection to their media brand now. Uh, I don't think it's enough to I just don't think it's enough to say. You know, you can just report the news the way we always have reported the news. You got to stand for something, and you got to sound like you're from there. I don't. I just don't think the distant voice works anymore. And I, we try really hard. Like we want to have a knowing voice about Pittsburgh. We don't want to put a story up that calls Pittsburgh the next Brooklyn again, and 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 like not laugh at it a little bit. Right. I mean, that's right. I mean, that's that's it's such a cliche now. So we don't know that that's a cliche. It almost makes it sound like we don't really know the city. And beyond that, as I, I said in the release we did yesterday. Um, about this, I really believe it's important that you have editors who love your cities, you know, and people, I'm sure some people would say, well, that's not the way journalists should be. They should be, you know, they should be looking kind of suspiciously at the cities. Well, of course you should. You should always look around to acknowledge loving your city doesn't mean you don't acknowledge its flaws and know that it can be better. It just means that you love your city. But I think that passion for the place, you know, we want that to show. We want people to feel that passion and see it when we tweet, when we write stories and you know, we're not going to be afraid to call BS on the city if it does something we don't like or if there are trends in the city that we're, you know, we don't think are good for the city. But at the same time, we're not going to we're not going to crap on it. And I think one of the things, one of the really interesting anecdotes that we've had, this was in Philly, not in Pittsburgh, but we had a city councilman come to our office and a city councilman who, by the way, we'd written some things about that weren't so nice because he'd had some uh, he had some uh, he'd, he had some issues, put it that way. I won't say what they were because I can't really remember them at the moment. But he came to our office and he said, hey, I just want to tell you guys something. He said, I don't like everything you guys write about me, but I will say this. When I read Billy Penn, it feels like it's produced by people who actually like Philadelphia. <laughs> that, and, that's you know, and, and It's a compliment in a way. 
But I would almost argue it was more a criticism of the other media organizations in town that his what he really was saying was, I don't feel like the other ones do. Right. Um, and I think that's sort of the nature of what I think a lot of people have lost kind of in, they've lost their focus a little bit because they don't really like this idea that that local news is always going to lead with, you know, crime and fires and car crashes. And if it leads, it bleeds kind of stuff. I'm sorry, if it bleeds, it leads kind of stuff. But and then a lot of the newspapers, you look at the front page and they're rightfully highlighting corruption and things that are wrong with the city. But there's a sense that that's taking up too much of the space and not is not enough space being saved for, you know, um, the other things happening in the city that might be more positive about. You know, we write a lot of stories in all the markets that we're in about, you know, how grant money is being used to try to solve problems in the city where most newspapers don't write about that stuff. They wait to see if those grants lead to anything interesting. And if they do, maybe they'll write about it, but they don't make that a, you know, so I think it's just a different approach and it's one that says, look, we're all in this together. Um, we live here too. And I think it also, and the last thing I'll say on that is it also drives like how we pick our names. So, you know, we, there were a lot of people who asked me when we named the in Pittsburgh, the incline, look what the hell it meant. And our answer to that is if people who grew up in Pittsburgh or live in Pittsburgh know exactly what it means. Right. That's, that's all we care about. I don't care if, if, if you live in Butte, Montana, and you don't understand the name of our Pittsburgh site, that's really not a problem for me because I don't really expect that Butte's going to be a huge driver of traffic to, uh, Billy, to uh, the Incline or Billy Penn or anywhere else. So and Billy Penn, the same. There are people I know in Philadelphians who I have to explain the name to. Uh, um you know, it's just interesting because I thought everybody knew that in Philly. But sure. uh, so, you know what I mean? So I think that I think it's really important to have a sense of place and a sense of passion for the place you're covering. So you've expanded to you're in Denver now, right? So you have the yep. three um, areas. What is sort of next? Like, do you ever see this becoming a national thing or do you want to keep it like hyper local with very passionate views, um, with very passionate people? Um. You know, it's a good question. I mean, I think I, somewhere down the road, I, th I certainly could see, um, you know, I could certainly see us um, being national. I, I think that's something I'll worry about as we have more sites. I think you can get to a certain number of sites and you can see how you could potentially do something at that level. But for now, I think we're really focused on the individual cities and continuing to try new things and work on you know, different ways to build the right business model. I think you're much better off kind of getting it right on three or four sites going slowly on that. If you eventually feel like, okay, I think we got this sorted out now. I think we kind of have a good sense for how this model is going to work. Then I think you can start looking at getting it into more markets, but you don't want to be in that position where you have 12 of them before you've really figured out what the right mix is going to be. Cause at this point we have display native event sponsorships, ticket sales as um, revenue streams that are decent, but we're launching membership in the fall. And for us, that's, you know, not going to be charging for the site or anything like that site remains free, but it's going to be creating special events and sort of um, a, a bunch of other access related things, maybe getting some things that we do early or getting custom newsletters that you only get if you're a member. And we'll see what that gets us. And I think that those kinds of experiments and how they play out are things we have to know um, before we can really uh, before we can really go any farther. Yeah, so membership, I think, is an interesting thing, right? I mean, so many people, and I've heard criticisms when, you know, people lock up their content behind a paywall, right? It kind of, like it says, okay, you could have 10 pieces of content for free, but you have to pay for the other ones, which is, first of all, a very frustrating experience, and it kind of yeah. misvalues your content a lot. 
How do you plan on like managing that? Is it just you're going to have separate exclusive content that is like only available to people that sign up, or how do you see that like working for someone like you guys that's so super local? Yeah, I mean, I think it would have to be it would have to be pretty. Um, I mean, I don't think we would charge for anything that's you know we we might charge like I said for custom newsletters or something that you sign up for separately. We'd never have. I don't want to have parts of the site that are inaccessible and parts that are accessible. I just feel like your site should be accessible or not accessible. Or, you know, I'm like, I, I know I'm not a big fan of paywalls, but I have, you know, when I see them sometimes I'm like, I just wish they'd tell me right out of the gate that I have to pay right. at some point. Otherwise I'm, you know, it's like I could burn through my 10 free ones, but at some point that's like, you know, open, I, I don't, then you open that incognito window. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, they're also, and a lot of times, to be honest, they're intentionally soft. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're they want people they want to get money from some people at the same time. They want everybody to kind of know there are some ways around it, too. So uh, if push comes to shove, you can figure out how to get around it. And I think like even the journal finally just shut that off. Finally, where they used to be able to just put any headline from the Wall Street Journal into Google and get it for free. So I think like, you know, people starting to at least pick a side on that. Now, that journal is pretty much you pay for it or you don't get it. And that's uh you know, for me, at least as a consumer, that's an easier choice to make as opposed to remembering how many things I've read on different sites and then being frustrated when because you always want to read the one you just clicked on. So inevitably, there's frustration when you get to that wall, regardless of. So, you know, we don't we don't want to do that. What we want to do is say, look, there are people in places in this city in Philadelphia and in Denver that, you know, we can we can provide, you know, interesting Q&A's with, you know, Pittsburgh politicians, Pittsburgh celebrities. We can get you into places you know, that you can't get into, whether it's the locker rooms or local sports teams or into concert venues. And can we turn all of that into like a, a cool membership thing where you get to go to a bunch of things a year that you probably wouldn't have an opportunity to go to otherwise. Um, and that's really what we're looking at is more. And like I said, we may, we've talked about ideas like a Slack channel that would be accessible right. to the public. So, you know, people could see what we were working on on a given day and to be a little bit more of a back and forth between us and, um, you know, and our and the and the consumers who like us the most. So, so we're still working through a lot of the details. We'll probably launch in October. We're already getting we're already hard at work on the the tech piece of it and uh, and all that. But the actual package will finalize soon. Yeah, that's really interesting because you know we talk to a lot of media companies and they're kind of shifting from trying to sell display advertising to relying more on that recurring membership value, right? Because yeah. that's just like. It's money that you could you could rely on, good revenue, um, and if you treat your customer right, obviously they'll keep coming back to you. Yeah. Um, but on the other side, right, you have these like independent folks, and you have things like Patreon or people going out on their own YouTube channels and and setting up their own paywalls. Like um, there's a guy, in, the sports guy in Pittsburgh, a DJ, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Do you guys see that like you competing with that or like? Because as you know, it's only going to become easier for uh, a very talented, well-connected writer to kind of set up their own website um, and monetize that. Do you see that, like, you losing out to that or competing to that in some way, or do you think you guys are doing something totally different? I think we're doing. I mean, I, look. I mean, there's so many consumers out there with such a different mix of things they're interested. in. I mean, in a sense, every you're competing with everybody and nobody at the same time. <laughs> right. No, I mean, it's all you can really control these days is like, am I doing am I doing something that I feel really good about? And, you know, DK on sports. I mean, I I, look, I've spent a lot of my life working in sports and, uh, 
And I can assure you that that is what, what, what we call the, a bottomless bowl topic. Like you can, right. as right. much Steelers news you want to heat or Penguins news as you want to heap on a pile, somebody oh, will read it. People eat that up. Yeah, people will read it. So, I, you know, the fact that he's out there doing that, I don't think has a zero impact on what people will read that we do yeah, from a sure. sports context. Um, now, that said, because it's such a covered area and you only have so many people you can, you know, that you really have to on your own staff to go after. We're not crazy. We don't do huge sports stuff, but we did during the penguin stuff, do some really, you know, we had DJ Gallo doing a Pittsburgh kind of sports rankings every week. So we look, what we look for is something that's just different than, than we think anybody else is doing in town, um, rather than try to outcover the, outcover the Steelers. Cause we can't do that. And we know we can't do it. So it's always looking for that thing that's going to be distinct, but not too competitive. I mean, you know, I mean, one of the real, to me at least, flaws of the, um, I think, flaws of the competitive era of newspapers was this idea that if they have three people covering this sports team, we need to have four. And if they have five, we need to have six. And I think the problem with that is then you end up with 24 people covering, you know, the local football team and nobody covering City Hall or two people covering City Hall, where our attitude has always been go where – the people aren't. If we're ever standing around at a press conference with a 20th people standing around at a press conference, we're probably in the wrong place sure, because we sure. have – we'll be able to curate this story from one of the other 20 reporters that's here. Mm-hmm. But for us, we should be out there doing something that nobody else is doing so we can attract an audience that's different then. So from that perspective, I'd say you're – you know, I don't really look at competition as nearly as important a thing as it used to be because you can, you can beat yourself up thinking about competition but – the world is changing so fast. The only thing you really can control is am I doing the right thing where I am in my place? Absolutely. And you should keep an eye on competition and you should know what the people around you are trying to do. But I think more than that, I think can get you, you can get a little bit lost at times. Totally. All right. Um, and then just, I have one final question or thought for you. Um, obviously you had that big announcement. You hired, uh, what, three people or so? Um, yeah, we we only hired. Essentially, we hired none. We're sure, just, right? Because we had two on, you know, one was on contract and two were right, on right, steps. Right. None of them were new, but still, we reorged. Reorged, I guess, is fair. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, and so, first of all, your your announcement was on Medium. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. You have all these media sites yet you chose to kind of post this on Medium. Um, why would you use uh, that? Well, that's a it's a, it's a very fair question and. Uh, and actually, you know, one of the things we're doing right now is we just had we actually had a call yesterday in which we went through we're doing these strategy groups right now where we picked like 12 issues that we think are really important to the company at the moment. And um, and uh, and broke up so that everybody on staff is on at least one of these teams. Um, and communication is one of them. And we actually had a conversation yesterday where a bunch of people asked exactly the question you just asked. Why the hell are we on medium? We hadn't published for quite some time. Yeah. Um, so we were just a little bit behind on, uh, but we've talked about probably changing that so that we're, um, you know, we'll probably end up doing something, um, um, you know, on, on spiritedmedia.com before too long. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love it. I think it's really interesting how a lot of these people are using this like medium, right? Which is a very neutral mm-hmm. platform to kind yeah. of get their word out to probably a wider audience. Yeah. No, I like it. I just, I just, you know, we missed so what they were pointing out on the call was it's a little bit of a missed opportunity for us to actually get the word out about like we could drop people onto. Now Billy Penn wrote their own story about having a new editor, and we did some other things, but 
Yeah, I mean, then we did it on medium uh, precisely because that's for the the very exciting and, and the reason that it was the blog we had had up from like a year ago when we last published. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to say I had a better answer than that, but I don't. All right, cool. And then finally, so one of the new positions um, was vice president of product and people. Yeah. And how unique of, of a title is that in the industry and how long before everyone has a VP of product and people at their organization? You know, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very good question. I, for me, it was like, we just, we talked a lot about the need for, um, you know, recruiting pipeline and, you know, an awful lot of things we thought were important for us to, to, uh, address. And that's part of these strategy groups as well. So I think for us, it made sense to have somebody who's like going to look at, how do we build a pipeline of good employees? How do we make sure that we have a set of company values that everybody knows and and sort of has to review when they're trying to figure out if this is the right thing for us to do as a company? And um, so, it'll, you know, it's training and it's things like that. So I, I think people's – I mean it's not HR because when people hear it, they're like, oh, my God, you're making Brian Boyer into an HR guy. Like that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about somebody who's like it's really development training. Uh, it's really staff development I guess in a way. But – you know, that's, you know, Brian liked people better and I kind of liked it better because it reflects a lot of, I, I would say, the sort of uh, loose way that we like to, we like to be a little less, a little more casual and not as, um, not as uh, corporate in our, in our language and titles. Yeah. I mean, from an outsider like me, it, it seems completely perfect for your organization because you are so people focused. And, and I think that does come through in everything you guys do is, you know, you do put people first, whether it's your employees or your viewers and the people mm-hmm. visiting you, right? So I thought that was just a very cool um, modern way to look at things and kind of have a title like that um, in your organization, I think is great. Well, thanks. No, I appreciate that. It's, uh, we, we, we like it. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. Th- those are all the questions I have. Jim, I don't know if you have any final words for anyone listening out there. No, I appreciate the time and the good questions. And, uh, and we are as uh, very glad to be in Pittsburgh. If anybody who's listening who hasn't gone to the Incline yet, it's theincline.com. I shouldn't. I assume I don't have to spell that for anybody who lives in Pittsburgh. That's good. Yeah. And, uh, um, and I hope you'll take a look at the site and uh, join along. And uh, what's your? We have a national audience. So you, what's your Denver site? Uh, called Denverite. Denverite. Okay. I see. I don't get that because I'm not from Denver, but that's yeah, okay. Exactly. Well, I mean, if you're from Denver, you're a Denverite. That's right. I guess so. There you go. Um, All right, Jim, I appreciate it, and thank you very much. Great. Thanks very much. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Hi, everyone. This is Dan Tellerico again. Thank you so much for listening to another great episode of the Matrix Media Sales Podcast. Jim Brady, of course, thanks very much to him for coming on and giving us some really great insights. And if you want to learn more about Matrix Solutions, go to matrixformedia.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, blog.matrixformedia.com and tell your friends you know i think we're doing some really cool stuff don't hesitate to share this out with other people in the media world we would really appreciate that and other than that we'll talk to you later all right have a great day bye